Today on Eco Report. I really couldn't believe the the energy that was built up, and I'm just very excited for the future. Correspondent Juliana Daly speaks with Bloomington South senior Liam Murphy about his environmental activism, as well as his well-received speech at the Indiana Forest Alliance rally last month. Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Good morning and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Glenn Leitner. The city of Bloomington has discovered contaminants on land that is slated for an affordable housing development. Last week, the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission discussed 12 acres of land located on the west side of Rogers Street where the city has plans for affordable housing. Last year, the city contracted with Pedcor Investments to develop the project on Rogers Street between the Beeline Trail and 11th Street as part of its Trades District Initiative. According to materials given to the commission, an environmental study conducted by BCA Environmentals detected the presence of arsenic, lead, and thallium above legally approved levels. This triggers some restrictions by the state, including requiring developers to submit a work plan to the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. There are requirements for how the soil can be moved and possible restrictions for development. Commission member David Walter discussed some of the restrictions with city attorney Thomas Cameron. I'm just reading through this restriction one more time. And it says, soil in any area in which standalone single-family or duplex residential housing must be sampled to 10 feet below the surface. So if we do a, a multiple housing, uh, which is what is going on south of this site, uh, does that still require this type of sampling according to this? Uh, my understanding is that it would not. Um, there is a, a higher threshold for multifamily. Okay. Lower threshold. There is a lesser threshold. And then it also says, um, I believe that they have to apply for permits. But um, it says any residential construction. So they need to get a uh, work plan to the department 60 days prior for approval. So any residential be multifamily and therefore whoever develops this property will have to file that work plan and then wait for their approval before they can move to it. Yes. According to attorney Cameron, PEDCOR will need to remove some of the contaminated soil and replace it with clean soil. If the sources of that lead, arsenic, and thallium found on the west side of Rogers Street were properly disposed of, they probably would have ended up in a dumpster at some point on their journey to disposal, not the soil. We now turn to EcoReport's senior correspondent to hear about his latest finds and the popular workshop he led this past week. 
Eco Report editor Aaron Comforti sat down with him last night for our semi-weekly update. Our senior dumpster correspondent, welcome to Eco Report. Well, thank you. So, what did you find this week? Well, this week, um, I'd say I found a little less than last week, but that's kind of how it goes. Fluctuations. Uh, just today, I found three small packages of guacamole. It was part of a case where one had busted open, and often when one is broken in a package, they throw out all of them. So uh, I got some nice guacamole, a few nice uh, produce items, some apples, um, some junk food, uh, candy, and cookies from another dumpster. Um, you know, nothing nothing really fantastic this week, but some basic staples and some snacks that you know, somebody will be able to use. Right, and so are you going to be giving any of this food out on uh, Sundays at the park? Yeah, yeah, pretty much every week um, on Sundays uh, we we bring whatever we have snack-wise uh, and give it out along with the food that we cook and, uh, you know, serve a pretty healthy meal and offer snacks for dessert. And, of course, we're talking about this is a free meal, and anybody who happens to be at the park um, can just come up and, and take a plate. Is that right? Yeah, people uh, assume it's kind of a charitable act sometimes, but really we consider it a food share, uh, and we'd love it if uh, more people became involved uh, and if more people kind of started food-based initiatives of their own just to sort of meet and greet and, and you know, meet each other as human beings. How do you recommend people who are interested get in touch uh, so that they can get involved? Uh, I would say the easiest thing to do, would, if, if you're free on a Sunday evening, uh, try to come down to People's Park between 5 and 6 o'clock. We'll, we'll stand out. We'll be there with trays and tables set up uh, with food. So just come talk to us face-to-face if you want. And uh, if it's not your thing, that's fine, but you never know. Come say hello and see see what you think. And one other item of business, you did a dumpster workshop, your first official dumpster workshop recently. How did that go? It went really well. Um, it, we, we had, I'd say, probably 25 to 30 people show up. I was kind of overwhelmed. Um, but everyone was really interested in the topic. We were able to present um, both physical items we had found and a lot of pictures and talk a little about a little bit about why we do what we do, um, and it really opened up into interesting conversation with many people that attended visiting. Uh, we had at least seven people come down from Indianapolis to see us, so so it felt good. I hope to to get another one going in the future. All right, thanks for joining us, Senior Dumpster Correspondent. No problem. Now we go for a walk in the woods in some old growth forest at the Crown Hill Cemetery in Indianapolis. With Welcome to Eco Report, Karen Smith. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, what's going on with the Veterans Affairs and the Crown Hill Cemetery Forest in Indy? Maybe you could tell us just a little summary about what's going on over there. Okay. Um, basically, uh, Crown Hill North Woods is the last remnant of pre-settlement old-growth forest in Indianapolis and um, also one of the few remaining in the state. And 
the uh, Veterans Administration owns a 15-acre parcel of this woods, and they've had plans for some time to um, build crematoria on the site. Um, and it's my understanding that up until recently, they hadn't, you know, looked at other possible sites nearby. Um, you know, using the Crown Hill site would entail, of course, cutting down um, much of the forest. And uh, I guess more recently they did modify their plan, um, and they were going to try to save as many of the older trees as possible. Uh, however, as I pointed out in a, a recent letter I sent to Dr. David Shulkin with the Veterans Administration, um, there is a, a critical difference between saving you know, a few trees and then saving an entire forest because the latter is a functioning ecosystem. And so I, while I think it's it's great that they wanted to save some of the trees, that would still be, you know, different from saving the forest as a whole. And so the current status is that the VA is considering other sites for this project? Yes, um, I know, well, just recently, like earlier this month, um, Mayor Hogsett, Joe Hogsett, um, issued a statement uh, regarding the outpouring of, of calls he'd received from people about the Crown Hill site, people who wanted to see it preserved. And and then I think, you know, that and, and just the number of calls that the Veterans Administration was receiving um, perhaps led to their decision to uh, put a or call a temporary halt to the logging plans and there was just a recent statement from the VA that um, they are going to take a quote, good hard look at um, other possible sites so I'm hopeful that um, you know another suitable site will be found and I think this would really be a win-win for everyone because in my view i i don't see how destroying something so you know precious in this beautiful green space i don't see how that would be a fitting memorial to our veterans karen smith thanks so much for joining us on eco report oh you're very welcome thank you the proposed destruction of that rare ecosystem and habitat is unfortunately not so unusual Recent research points towards increased land usage for growing corn and the production of the government-subsidized gasoline additive ethanol as one of the major reasons that habitat destruction in Indiana and the greater Midwest is on the rise. That's right. A new study published in the journal Environmental Research Letters found that habitat destruction increased dramatically around corn ethanol refineries after passage of the Renewable Fuel Standard which required the production of more biofuels. Ethanol production in Indiana last year was over 1 billion gallons. Wildlife habitat near corn ethanol refineries has been destroyed at a fast pace since the standard was passed. The study says within a 100-mile radius of ethanol plants, 4 million acres across the U.S. have been converted to agricultural use in the four years since passage of the standard. In that period, the Corn Belt states have seen much habitat destruction. Habitat loss, he says, is a serious issue for wildlife species that rely on grasslands and wetlands that are being converted to cropland. 
For instance, grassland birds have experienced the most severe population declines of about any species, largely as a result of habitat loss. And in national news, documents found on March 14th reveal collusion between EPA officials and the giant herbicide and seed corporation Monsanto. The collusion centered on opposing the classification of the company's best-selling herbicide Roundup as a carcinogen. According to the New York Times, the document released demonstrates that an APA deputy division director, quote, tipped off, unquote, Monsanto that the International Agency for Research on Cancer had determined that glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, was a probable human carcinogen months before the determination was announced publicly. According to the Times, quote, that led the company to prepare a public relations assault on the finding well in advance of its publication, unquote. There's more to the story. Ted Liu, a U.S. congressperson, is calling for an immediate Department of Justice investigation into potential misconduct by EPA employees surrounding the safety of glyphosate. <laughs> Recent reports suggest that a top EPA official worked to suppress a Department of Health and Human Services review of the pesticide and leak confidential information to Monsanto. In more herbicide and pesticide news, the Environmental Working Group has released its lists of the dirty dozen, the most pesticide-contaminated produce, and the Clean 15, the produce least likely to contain pesticide residues. The dirty dozen are strawberries, spinach, nectarines, apples, peaches, celery, grapes, pears, cherries, tomatoes, bell peppers, and potatoes. The Clean 15 are sweet corn, avocados, pineapples, cabbage, onions, frozen sweet peas, papayas, asparagus, mangoes, eggplant, honeydew melon, kiwis, cantaloupe, cauliflower, and grapefruit. Meanwhile, a new report by the World Health Organization says the concept that pesticides are crucial to feeding the planet's people is a myth. The report is highly critical of the manufacturers of pesticides, accusing them of systemic denial of harms, aggressive and unethical marketing tactics, and intensive lobbying of governments, which has prevented reforms and paralyzed global pesticide restrictions. The report also says pesticides have, quote, catastrophic impacts on the environment, human health, and society as a whole, unquote. I'm Glenn Leitner, and that's the news for this week. And I'm Linda Leitner. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us if you have any thoughts about stories we've aired or if you have any future story ideas. Please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. EcoReport is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. In this week's feature, we'll hear from EcoReport co contributor Julianne Daly, who interviewed a local high school environmental activist. 
This is Juliana Daly with WFHB, and I am speaking with Liam Murphy, a senior at Bloomington South. I had the pleasure of listening to him speak at the Indiana Forest Alliance rally last month at the State House, and I have to admit that it was probably, out of all of the speeches that day, the most passionate speech I heard. <laughs> And I am so excited to be able to talk with Liam. So Liam, you already know that I was impressed with your poise and how well you spoke. Thank you very much. So what made you decide you wanted to speak? Um, I've had uh, many really great teachers who have uh, incited passion in me and also my parents. Um, for for the causes that I care about, specifically the environment. And when I was given the opportunity, I'd never uh, public spoken before. You uh, would never know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I couldn't turn that down. And I'm glad I did. I didn't because it turned out really well. And I'm very thankful to the people at the Indiana Forest Alliance for having me. Oh, it was a, like I said, it was a wonderful speech. Would you like to uh, tell me about who some of those teachers were? Uh, let's give them some credit. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my uh, AP environmental science teacher, Ms. Fagola, um, she's just totally phenomenal. And she's an advocate herself and uh, a great person. And so we took a field trip to Bear Run Coal Mine uh, down in Linton, and also the DNR's preserve and it's it's just totally crazy um, I, I, I think they're both I believe it's eight they're both eight square miles um, the preserve and the coal mine right and they're maybe two or three miles apart from each other so it was just extremely powerful visiting those areas and you never really realize uh, the, the power of um, the equipment used in, in coal mining yeah. and you never realize the, the magnitude. The devastation. Yeah, the magnitude <laughs> of the devastation is just overwhelming and uh, so our, our bus drove in this like back road um, and there was you know like a, a barbed wire fence and like they obviously weren't uh, totally happy with people seeing what's going on for obvious reasons because it's not a pretty sight no. watching no. The, these machines destroy the earth and uh, so like our bus was pulling up the side and you could just we were getting glimpses and glimpses and you know you could tell that there were uh, big machines and and there was noise and but then we got to this clearing and you saw the main crane and it was just like, how could that possibly move? <laughs> like it was, it was a, a, a skyscraper-like object, and and so, and then it moved, and we watched it uh, dig into the ground, and it was totally phenomenal, and couldn't believe that humans could let this happen, and everyone on the bus, you know, you're you're looking, kids of totally different. Uh, uh, values, opinions, backgrounds with 
different parents, uh, with parents very different than, than mine, uh, maybe politically, just totally in awe of what, of what was happening. Well, that's true. Um, I have a grandson that just thinks those big, huge machines are just fantastic. You know, he just yeah. wants to drive them. And but I don't think, you know, as a young young boy, he's only nine years old. Yeah, of but course. He, he doesn't understand what they, they can actually do. Yeah. So I know I've traveled down to North Carolina a lot, and I see the mountaintop removal uh, results, mm -hmm. and it's just. Uh, it's heartbreaking. It really is. It really is. I, I completely agree. Well, that's a wonderful teacher that she let you see something like that. Yeah, <laughs> she she really bends over backwards that's for her classes to to really. Nothing like seeing it up front, right there. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Well, how did you feel after your speech? Um, with that overwhelming response that you got from the crowd and the legislators all coming up and shaking your hand. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity and um, definitely it was a humbling experience. Uh, and I, I really couldn't believe the, the energy that was built up and I'm just very uh, excited for the future. Are you? I, I'm glad to hear that because listening to you make your speech, and I, I think I might speak for all of the people that were in the room, you represent the future. And my generation, you know, started Earth Day, you know, because yeah. we were really worried even back then in the mm -hmm. 70s, and here we are now, and it's 10 times worse. Yeah. And uh, so we're really hoping that people like you and all of your young crowd that's going to be coming up and taking over for us are going to be able to do something about what's happening with the earth and uh, so yeah. that that's what got everybody in that room excited was hearing somebody your age be so passionate absolutely and we actually are so um, as you may know there's the uh, Crown Hill Northwoods conflict going on yes. with the Department of Veterans Affairs and they own the land and they wish to clear it of all of the, the trees there. There are some, many of them are over 300 years old and and we just simply can't let that happen. So, um, I mean, I'm in contact with IFA members and I'm organizing a group of students for really tomorrow, right? We have to act right now. I heard it was kind of moving forward, so oh, oh, I yes. haven't heard any new information. What What is um, the latest? I heard that they were agreeing to not cut down the really old trees, but they still want to build on the property? Or Yeah, so it's 5.16 p.m., March 9th, mm -hmm. as we're speaking right now, and uh, three or four hours ago, I uh, talked to Anne at the Forest Alliance, and she told me that the fences were being put up around the 15-acre property and the machines were coming in. Uh, there wasn't, it wasn't an overly optimistic tone, but um, we don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, we're in, we'll stay uh, up to date with social media and we'll, we'll just hope for the best. Hopefully they're not gone tonight. And that's what we're afraid of. Are you going up tomorrow? Or? Yeah, so I'm, I'm awaiting contact from them in the morning. Is there going to be a group of, of you and your uh, fellow yep. friends from exactly. school? Exactly. So I, uh, 
the, the IFA is having a meeting tonight to decide what to do, as they, they do, and they're a great organization, and I will be contacted in the morning, or maybe later tonight, and my friends and I are all ready to go. We've got the car, and you know, our, our parents are on our side. That's you know, fantastic. And, and we're going to head up, and we're not going to let it happen. And you're listening to Eco Report on WFHB, bringing you environmental watchdog reporting from South Central Indiana. Eco Report is currently seeking volunteer journalists to contribute short weekly headlines about ecological issues from indigenous resistance to infrastructure projects to climate change and biological diversity. Commitment is light and you can set your own schedule. For more information, email us at earth at wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200. And here's our weekly events calendar. Enjoy a boot-stomping evening in support of the Indiana Forest Alliance at a barn dance for trees on April 7th, Friday at 6 p.m. at Mike's Music and Dance Barn on State Route 46 in Nashville, Indiana. The event includes an all-you-can-eat buffet dinner. The admission fee benefits the Indiana Forest Alliance's mission of protecting and preserving Indiana's hardwood forests. For more information, call 317 317- 602-3692 or go to Sandra at indianaforestalliance.org. Spring Mill State Park is having a volunteer opportunity on Saturday, April 8th from 9 to 10 a.m. Help pull the invasive garlic mustard species that is threatening the park's biodiversity. Bring gloves and meet at the pool parking lot. The Indiana Audubon Society is hosting a Limberlost and Loblolly field trip on Saturday, April 8th from 9 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Limberlost Historic Site located at 202 East 6th Street in Geneva, Indiana. Take this opportunity to look at one of the premier birding sites in eastern Indiana. You must pre-register. Contact J.L. Velasquez at Hotmail.com. Hike under the full pink moon at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, April 8th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center for this night hike. Enjoy a two-mile hike which follows the lake and goes by the village. The 8th Annual Bloomington Trash and Refashion Runway Show is taking place on Sunday, April 9th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater in Bloomington from 7 to 9 p.m. All proceeds will benefit Benefit the Center for Sustainable Living. Tickets can be purchased in advance or at the door. And next week will be our fun drive. Tune in for a collaboration between EcoReport and KiteLine for a conversation about the ecological issues related to the prison industrial complex. That wraps up our show for this week. EcoReport is brought to you in part by Solar Systems of Indiana, designing and installing renewable energy systems. SSI is a member of the North American Board of Certified Engineer and Energy Practitioners and works to forest the acceptance of solar energy across the Midwest through education and consultation. More information by phone at 812-336-2785 
or online at solarsystemsofindiana.com. This week's news stories were written by Linda Green and Sarah Vaughn and Aaron Comforti, who also edited the show. Juliana Daly produced the feature and compiled our events calendar. Megan Wade and Matt Griffin are our engineers. Our executive producer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, I'm Glenn Leitner. And I'm Linda Leitner. Join us on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. before Democracy Now! and on Fridays at 5 p.m. before Kite Line for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news and resistance. Until then, EcoReport encourages you to take direct action to defend the Earth. You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the Earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.